podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Howdy, folks. Welcome back to Viva La Cats. I am your host, Justin Hiles, accompanied by my great friend, Steve Maurer, and we bring you Bearcats coverage every single week as part of the 1012 Network. With us this week, we have Ryan Roberts covering the Bearcats. He's done a fantastic job all season, and I uh, love seeing the coverage from him there. Ryan, how are you doing, man? Good. How are you guys doing tonight? Not too shabby. Everything's good here. Can't complain, really. Uh, <laughs> it would have been a lot better if we had recorded after the game on Wednesday, but after yesterday, feel definitely feels a little bit better. Yeah, it's a good thing that we didn't come in here on a heater after that game because uh, Steve definitely had some out there takes, but those have uh, fallen to the wayside now because our first point of the night, the Bearcats go on the road to Lubbock and beat number 15 Texas Tech and along with the women's team beating Texas Tech in Cincinnati, completing the sweep for the weekend. The Bearcats defeated Texas Tech by three points. Massive win gives you a lot of good energy going forward towards March Madness, hoping we can kind of build that run. But Ryan, from what you you saw in this game, what were your biggest takeaways? Um, and you know what was kind of the key element here that worked uh, that wasn't really working against West Virginia or some of these other close losses that we've had. Well, for one, Aziz Bandiago showed up 10 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, Wes mentioned in the post game that he didn't feel they did as good of a job against West Virginia, recognizing when he was tired, which led to some, you know, defensive breakdowns around the rim uh, late in the game. Um, and with him being healthy and out there and seeing how much he impacts the game at both ends, it's just it's it's a major boost to this team, especially with Vic struggling right now. I think his last four games, he's four for 24, um, over eight from three, eight for 13 to for, uh, from the free throw line, six rebounds per game. He scored four, zero, seven and five in those games. So mm-hmm. having Aziz step up the way he did last night definitely helped. And it also, you know, Seamus Lukosius, 16 points, four, seven from three. And I think that's something that we've kind of been waiting for him to do is he's had the opportunities and he hasn't really taken advantage of them. And Wes kind of mentioned that he's been putting a lot of big shot late game situations and he struggled with those, but seeing him go three for three down the stretch, make all three field goal attempts. I mean, when you have a guy as good as Simon Lukosius is and actually take advantage of his opportunities, this team's really hard to beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um, I saw from Chad today, Chad Brendel, that Cincinnati closed with points on nine of its last 12 possessions. And like you said, Ryan, Seamoss uh, going three for three in that stretch. I, I do think that, you know, we saw it with uh, how Texas Tech was going back and forth with, with us. That was the only way they were, the Bearcats were going to be able to win that game was with continually responding to their punches with your own punch. Uh, we've seen that a couple times, unfortunately, with these close losses where where the Bearcats are able to stay in it until about five, four, three minutes left, and just sometimes the shots stop falling for them. And uh, I was just impressed with uh, Ryan. We've talked about on the show this year just how we uh, we value three uh, three different uh, st- statistical categories here: the three point percentage, free throw percentage, and the rebound right. battle. And um, you see one, all of those last yeah. night. Um, I mean, they didn't shoot as many free throws as Texas tech, but made all of them, uh, shot better from three point than they usually do on the road and better than Texas tech. And again, won the rebounding battle. I think the rebounding battle is, a uh, uh, 
a great thing to do, especially against Texas Tech. Warren Washington had a pretty good game for himself last night. But what like I, I just think being able to come in, Ryan, and defeat this team that had been undefeated at home uh, before this game and uh, just a, t- a top 15 team as well, and your second top 15 win on the road this year. I think it says a lot about just what Wes is doing this year, just a, from a coaching standpoint. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think to put into perspective, there's one team in the Big 12 currently with a winning record on the road, and that's Texas at 3-2. and two. Um, Every other team is either at 500 or below 500. And that includes Kansas, uh, Houston, Texas Tech, pretty much every team at the top of the Big 12 standings have struggled on the road. And I think it just speaks to the depth of this league where every night on the road, it's a battle, man. If you don't, Graham McCaslin said in his post game, the way you went on the road, you're physical, you win the uh, rebounding battle, and you make your free throws. And Cincinnati did all three of those. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me, like Steve had mentioned, you know, the, those are our pillars to success. And we've been preaching this for like weeks on end. If you can just do these few things right and get on the right side of the hump with that, you're going to find a win because there's no way that if you do that consistently night in, night out, that you continue to, you know, flub at the last few minutes and it's a one possession, two possession game. I think the biggest thing here, again, going 100% from the line, we haven't seen that all year long. And in all games that we've had so far, you do it in a rowdy environment like this at Texas Tech. I think that's just a huge, huge testament to the improvements and the uh, focus that they've had trying to come out of some of these games and just figuring out what's been wrong. And I think, you know, the other thing, too, you look at the three point shooting and, you know, the rebounding's been there. But the three point shooting was a huge focus, too, because we chucked up so many shots, but we missed so many. And it's it's one of those things that I think we've definitely seen the identity shift to where it's not so focused so heavily on three point shooting as we had kind of last year where there was a lot of volume shooting. Now it's kind mm-hmm. of been a lot more of a balance with the paint. And so, you know, from your perspective, I'm curious between last year and this year, those strides that we've made, what do you think is the biggest difference that's allowed this team to kind of jump up in competition so fast? Because it wasn't this team last year was not ready in the way that they seem to be mm-hmm. now. Well, I think for one, you you elevated the talent level. Like Dan Skillings, um, he's gonna play at the next level. Um, Jizzle James, as Wes said, he's coming. <laughs> He's been, he has an opportunity to, <laughs> he has an opportunity to play at the next level if he continues to progress. Seamus uh, Lukosius, he's played professionally uh, in, in various underage uh, leagues. Um, Vic, same with Vic. You know, he's played at uh, in professional leagues underage. And when you just look at the depth and experience of this team, I think they're not reliant on one certain category for success. Um, they, they put a lot of pressure on the rim with Aziz, but also, you know, Dan Skillings doesn't get enough credit for how well he rebounds and how active he is defensively. Don't get me wrong, he has some breakdowns, and that's probably why he's not in the starting lineup. But um, th- this team just has so much more length and athleticism, and they're versatile. They they don't have to be reliant on one certain thing, whereas last year, what did you have? You had DDJ who was going to chuck up shots, Landers, um, and then you also had J.D. All three of those guys were relying on the three ball, more so than DDJ with Landers and uh, J.D., but 
I just think you have so many different ways that you can beat a team that Wes is kind of able to run an offense a different way where they're looking for the best shot and not just looking for, let's see how many shots we can get up that go in. Well, and then the other thing too, to me, is that the big man play has been mm-hmm. much better. And um, even with, you know, Victor having a, a rough couple of games, I understand he was sick. I kind of wonder if that is something to do with it, that he is still kind of fighting that off. He's well enough, he's, he's well enough to play, but, you know, just, Maybe that took a lot out of him. Uh, just has not been his usual self over the last couple of games. I'm not really too worried about that. I feel like he can get that back. It's just repetition and game reps. But like you said, Ryan, uh, Aziz stepping up last night was huge. And I think one of the problems with um, the West Virginia game, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but um, you lose John Newman at the end, even after you, uh, after you go up by 10 points, and they just did not have – a solid performance from one of the big men on, on Wednesday night. And Aziz was really able, and Wes talked about that, like you said, you know, just not feeling like they had a, a good handle on his, uh, when he was tired and when he was ready to go on Wednesday and they felt like they did better. I think that's just something too, where, you know, we, the, the level of talent in at the big man position this year, either the four or the five has been a lot better this year. And just from that talent level and seeing Aziz develop, play better, play great defense without fouling, even though some of the Texas Tech fans thought a couple of those were fouls. Uh, I'm just so impressed with how much he's grown and developed and stepped up, especially in a game where, you know, Vic's not feeling it and Jameel has not really been able to contribute as much as some fans might like. Yeah, well, one thing I want to add real quick too, you know, kind of in the differences between last year and this year, I've noticed that when you look kind of down the run sheet, there's eight guys that are scoring seven or more points every game. That's their average for this team. Last year, there was five. And after that starting five, it was a hard drop off. There just was not a lot of depth. And I think that's been one of the keys is just Wes is able to kind of reach farther into his bag with some of these guys and get some more people there when something's not working. And I think that that flow, if you can get that to work and consistently kind of go in night in and night out, it'll really help. But again, like you said, if, you know, some guys are off, sometimes it's going to burn you. And sometimes those environments are going to catch up to you. You might miss a couple shots here. Things might not go your way. You might not get the calls. And then inevitably you might throw one in a really big environment like West Virginia. So um, I really do want to kind of break that down a little bit more. But specifically from your perspective, Ryan, with the West Virginia game, what do you think was the most costly piece of that game that ended up just letting everything crumble? And unfortunately, the Bearcats do a 69 to 65 loss. Um, well, they definitely had defensive breakdowns over those last six minutes. Uh, they were outscored 19 to five. But the shot selection also wasn't there. Um, a lot of threes early in the shot clock where they should have, you know, maybe ran offense and tried to find a better shot. Um, rebounding was fine. That's the thing that kind of. That was the most frustrating part about it is they rebounded at a really high level, but when they needed to get the rebounds down the stretch, that's where the breakdowns came. Um, Wes mentioned in his postgame with rotations not happening defensively, um, not converting shots like they should, missed free throws. And not that, you know, free throws cost in the game or anything like that, but it was just more so, I think, against West Virginia, lack of execution than West Virginia doing things to beat Cincinnati. And I think that's why 
that's a game where you're going to look back in two weeks where Cincinnati maybe wins three or four of their next games. And you look back and really wish you could have that one back because, I mean, you go, I think they didn't have a field goal until under a minute left when they were up 10, 60 to 50 with 616 left. I mean, you have to be able to convert on the road when you have a 10 point lead that late in the game. Yeah. I think one of the other things that I look at as well is we've noticed this become an issue more and more throughout the season. And maybe this is just because it's the big 12, but there's always that one sometimes mystery, not so mystery guy who just decides to just pop off, go off. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I'm really bothered by this because I started a tracker. I forget after what game, maybe it was TCU. uh, Maybe it was Kansas. I think it was Kansas because of Furphy going off and I was pissed. And when I looked back on it, Jesse Edwards had his season high in this in this game against the Bearcats. And Mm -hmm. I just don't know what it is, if it's some part of preparation. And I understand, you know, a baller is going to go ball. He's going to find his shot. He's going to get some points on the board. But I feel like we've had an issue checking some guys where they just start to run it up and you're not really like making it very difficult for them. Some of these guys are just good, but. What's the fix for that? How do you start to check some of these guys and keep them from going off for 25, 30 points and limit them down so that the Bearcats can kind of keep pace with them? Well, it's, it's no different than Robert Jennings uh, for Texas Tech. Guy averages seven minutes a game, two, I think 2.4 points per game. He goes off for 14 and six. <laughs> um, it, it just speaks to more than anything, the depth of this league and the rosters where, you you have to prepare for everyone on a scouting report just because you don't know if their ninth man off the bench is going to come in and light you up from outside. Uh, Jesse Edwards, I, I was a little surprised, and Wes mentioned this too, I was a little surprised Jesse Edwards had the game he had just because if you look at his history, he averaged a double-double last year at Syracuse, 14 and 10. And, yeah, he hadn't played much this season from the injury, but, like, he's a guy that should have been – at the top of the scouting report, you knew what you were getting with him on the floor. There was no reason for him to have the type of night they had. And the same with Dysu, uh with Texas. He goes off for, what, 30 points against Cincinnati here at Fifth Third Arena. I just, for whatever reason, these versatile big men at the five, uh, they they really struggle with Jesse Edwards and then uh, Dysu from Texas. But you look at Hunter Dickinson. They hold him to 10 and 6, and he didn't score in the second half. Um, so I don't know, man. It's just one of those things with consistency defensively. It's, they have to get more consistency, not just from Vic, but also Aziz and Jamil. And I think not to, you know, dunk on the guy, because I know he's still making a transition to Cincinnati, but you know, Jamil hasn't been that good defensively at times. And I think that's why his minutes have been limited throughout this season in certain games, um, with it being matchup dependent on how he's used. Oh, you're muted, Steve. <laughs> Dang, it got me again. Uh, I, the dog was barking in the background. Sorry. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, Jamil has unfortunately not been able to contribute as much, but um, I, I think maybe bringing Victor back um, on Wednesday was just a little bit too early. He mm-hmm. still played 18 minutes and was able to contribute, but it he we wasn't really as effective within the lane. His four, four of his five shots were from three, and um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say anything about him shooting the three. I think maybe 
other than that he had that one five for five game and he got the confidence. And I, I think they will need him to hit one or two of those shots eventually. I mean, he did hit one against uh, BYU to really ice that game on the road. And I'm, I want him to feel that confidence. I want him to, to get that back. And maybe if he's starting to see a couple fall just from outside the arc, he will be able to translate that within the paint and really play, play better. But um, I, I agree though, Ryan. I mean, just some of the shot selection. And then um, I think one thing that everybody, you know, Ryan from the group chat, everybody had a consternation with was that end of game set where it didn't really, you know, it seemed like we, just did not have the best option at the end. And it looked like there was an option for somebody else, but Victor mm. was kind of in a, a fight or flight position and he just threw up a shot. Yeah. And I think something that doesn't get mentioned enough, um, the metrics say, and I know Wes isn't a fan of all of the metrics, but he does look at some of them. Um, the metrics say this team is a lot better in one big sets versus two big sets. And we just haven't seen much of that this season. And I don't know if it's um, – I haven't asked, you know, see if it's more just based on the matchups and feeling like you have a really big advantage on the boards with two bigs in there. But the metrics say that Cincinnati's way better with in a one big set with Aziz or Vic with, you know, Skillings, Lukosius, Day-Day, and John. And getting kind of off track, back to Justin's question about the difference this year versus last year, I don't think people – understand all the time how big of a difference John Newman is out there defensively. So when when you're able to send your best defender and say, hey, go shut him down, it allows you to do do other things offensively with your better offensive players. And, and Newman is a guy that, you know, he's played well. He's been their most consistent per player on the team. For sure. 10 point averages, 10 points a game, whether he's on the road or at home. Um, so when you, when you have a guy like that to kind of take out the opposing team's best player, that's made a big difference with how competitive they are. Just that physicality that he brings and leadership to the rest of the team. Yeah. And I think that that's a big thing for this year's team too, because we looked at, you know, especially through non-conference, we're kind of like, all right, who's the leader of this team? You know, you've got a couple older guys. You kind of would have expected to be John Newman just based on age, but you know, He's also not been here his entire tenure, but he's been here long enough. Mm. He also didn't get to play last year. But I think this is one of the things that I look at so much last year compared to this year is he was missing, like you said. I mean, and if you think about how many of those games, we just needed a little bit more defense. We just needed, you know, a steal or two here or there. You needed somebody who's just super scrappy playing. I, I think that that's a huge advantage that they have this year, and especially to see the way now too that Josh Reed has also kind of taken up that sort of, uh, you know, pseudo second man behind him kind of role mm -hmm. to just <clears throat> be able to go out there, play your role, play defensively, take a shot. If you got one, find an opening like John Newman is just one of those complete players that I'm still always amazed with every time I watch him play because he never ceases to just do the hustle play. Like it's, all game long. And I'm just always been so impressed because I think that he really does a fantastic job of representing what the Cincinnati Bearcats have always been about. And it's that grit grind and hustle. And so, you know, I think not that every player doesn't do that or doesn't try, but I think if every player 
had just a little bit more of that John Newman in him. Like we've done a good job defensively, but the just scrappiness and going for it on every play. I see a lot of that in Dan Skillings too. He does do put in a lot of effort to just kind of create plays, find his own shot, make something work. I think as long as everybody kind of contributes there and you just don't have guys that are standing around on the court, I think that that's a really big key here to kind of move forward. Um, Steve had thrown in an extra point here about a certain guy who's been doing a pretty good job with the Cincinnati Bearcats, uh, you know, now in year three, but he's got a week off Wes Miller's week off. And we're kind of curious here. Are we getting CJ back? What's happening? How do we just kind of add this whole thing up moving forward? Um, your guess is as good as mine. Um, see, I mean, it's no secret. CJ has been going through workouts and shoot arounds, uh, worked out before the West Virginia game, uh, was getting shots up before Texas tech. You all saw him in the post game video. One of the first ones out on the floor celebrating. I, I think the issue with CJ's are being a lot more cautious with him just because of the previous injuries. Um, and you, you need him more. Let, let's be honest, guys. Like, this league is so competitive. Um, all it takes is winning the conference tournament. So <laughs> it's, it's There's so many opportunities to boost your resume. With with CJ missing the time he's missed, and you have uh, the depth where you can throw a Dan Skillings and give him more minutes, that's a luxury. You know, Bill Self mentioned that post-game uh, after the Cincinnati game that – since I had the luxury of bringing Dan Skillings off the bench to score 24 points, where they don't have that luxury. So I think given the amount of depth that Cincinnati has, especially at that wing position, that's one of the reasons they're being more cautious with him and not trying to rush him back. I do think um, the, the week off couldn't come at a better time, especially with the amount of illnesses that's ran through the team, both players, uh, support staff, and coaches. So I, I would say that <clears throat> as a week progresses, you might see stuff trickle out. That's no insider information. But um, right now they're just being really cautious with him because they don't want to rush him back. And then two games later, he's right back in the same situation with the hamstring. Well, I kind of wonder, too, you had mentioned, obviously, about the one big lineup. I, I do wonder if having CJ back allows them to do more of that. And we kind of saw it just from – that UCF game when Diallo went out for those long stretches, how much that one big lineup was really able to turn mm -hmm. the tide of that game and come back. And that's UCF, you know, not to, not to shade them, uh, but like there's more, there, there's going to be better teams than them that you're going to have to play against. And uh, we were talking about this a little bit pre-show, but I was really impressed with uh, Saturday how, and you mentioned it, Ryan, like Kansas was, uh, able to get Johnny Furphy open. And I'm kind of wondering if CJ, like UC doesn't really just see that as well with, uh, see that film and try it and see if they can get either CJ or CMOS open on some of those, uh, double screens. Yeah. Um, like we were talking about before this, the, the thing that I noticed most in that Kansas game was then doubling the, at the top of the key on the pick and roll, doubling that, um, and then Kansas is doing a really good job of getting out of that double team and finding the open man because it seemed like every other play they were getting an easy layup or an easy shot, a good look, and it had to do with someone being open from the doubles at the top of the key. I, I do think 
some of the three-point struggles could be attributed to CJ not being out there. I mean, he was shooting 40% uh, before he was taken out with the injury. But I also think that a lot of their struggles have been self-inflicted. Like, I don't think that this is a bad shooting team. They just haven't converted at the level that they normally do. Like, I, CMOS, I think he's a good three-point shooter. Same with Day-Day. I think Day-Day shot high 30% last year before coming to Cincinnati. So, uh, it's not like these guys are bad shooters. It's just a lack of um, shots falling. Uh, I know West was really annoyed with Chad asking uh, about the guys being in a funk offensively because of some of the long scoring droughts they've had throughout Big 12 play. But, I mean, West is right. It's just a lack of guys not knocking down open shots. And at some point, law of averages has to catch up. I mean, yeah. Day Day's, I think Day Day is four for 11 over the last two games without looking it up. Um, from three, he had a couple big threes against Oklahoma. I think it was Oklahoma or TCU. Um, so I mean, the shots are going to start falling, guys. It's just a matter of them falling when the Bearcats actually need them. Yeah, right. Well, and let's look at this too. I mean, I think this is one thing that we don't give enough credit to the opponents, mm-hmm. but. Big 12 defenses are a lot better than our non-conference slate was. And I think that we just tend to overlook that so much. And we blame so much of that on us. And I, it is very fair. There are a lot of open shots that are missed. However, night in, night out, you are going to play teams that are in the metrics, very, very solid defensive teams. Like even if you go back to the UCF game, like, you know, expecting where they've been all season, you're like, okay, UCF's not that great of a team. They had a top 10 defense like and that's just something that you wouldn't expect, but it's the truth. And it's so it's one of those things that I think is super hard to wrap our heads around. But you just have to admit and understand that you're not going to get easy buckets anymore. It's not a thing that you get that break like you had in the American. You're not going to get some of those easy teams. Um, And I'm going to take the second here to curtail this into one of our points on this sort of week off thing. If you look at the current Big 12 standings right now, there's a lot of teams that are in the middle of the pack. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of teams that are right up there at the top. There's a lot of teams in the middle of the pack. And there's realistically one team that's on the bottom. Sorry, Oklahoma State. Sucks for you guys. Well, even Oklahoma State, they've got a lot of young (laughs) talent. So they're a year or two away from being right back where they're used to being. Right. And I mean, you can imagine that that's probably going to come soon. It's the Big 12. It's cannibalistic in nature, but you know, all boats float. And I think that this is one of the things that when I look at this, if you look at this rundown right now, as it currently stands, there are eight ranked teams in the top 25. That's a lot. That's a lot that doesn't include when you're talking about March Madness picture, which we'll get to more later, but that's a lot of teams that are sitting in that top bracket of the NCAA of division one basketball. When you go beyond that, there are currently three teams that are half a point back, half a game back. You have Kansas and Houston at the top, which I think everybody kind of expected. But you have three games, three teams, half a game back. You have TCU, one game back, BYU, one and a half. And then you have five teams that are two games back. So, like, realistically, your top 12 are all within two games. And it's not like, you know, you're 20 game or you're like five games into this thing or three games into this thing. You've already got 
nine or so games under your belt. Like this is a, <laughs> this is a pretty stacked competition. And so, you know, looking forward here, I'm curious what your guys' projections are, but where do you think some of these teams shake out specifically like Kansas and Houston, which are sitting right at the top at both in six and three in conference? Where do you think these teams shake out at the end of it? Because they've clearly shown that they're great. They've also shown that they've got some weaknesses. I I would say um, just based off like preseason rankings, the, the team that surprised me the most would be BYU. They were projected to finish uh, 13th in the league. I don't think anyone saw them being as good of a shooting team as they are. Um, and I, I think West Virginia, I, I know that they're three and five in the conference, eight and 14 overall, but West Virginia has a really good starting lineup. They're going to start winning some games. The only team that you can really look at and think that, yeah, that that, that might be a win uh, regardless of where it's at <laughs> is Oklahoma State. And that just has more to do with um, how young they are in certain positions. But, I mean, one through ten, even Kansas State. You know, Kansas State has some really good wins as well. We'll see tomorrow night when they host Kansas. Um, but there's – it's crazy, man. You look at this league, and you, you thought the Big East was good, and this <laughs> is the Big East on steroids. And that's, you know, not a knock on the Big East or anything. But even in the Big East, you had DePaul. That was pretty much a gimme. Uh, Providence really wasn't that good back then. St. John's was up and down in years where you could count on that maybe being a win here and there. Notre Dame had good years, but there were also years where you could look at that and see, yeah, that's probably a win, um, depending on if it's on the road or at home. And I just think that everyone says Kansas City is the best place to be during conference tournament time. And I think it's going to be proven once again this year in that conference tournament because I think you legit have, you look at the standings, like you said, Kansas, Houston, Baylor, Iowa State, Texas Tech, TCU, BYU. UCF has wins over Texas and uh, Kansas. So even that's not a gimme for any team. Like there's so many teams in this league that can get hot at the right time and win it. So I I don't know. Like I, I don't see anyone, whoever wins the regular season, I don't see them having less than five losses. Yeah, that's realistic. I mean, even if you look at the top two, Kansas and Houston both have three conference losses mm-hmm. already. Like, and we're halfway through the conference slate. So right. to imagine that, you know, Houston, when they come into Cincinnati, is not going to lose. I mean, you couldn't picture it any other way. I really don't think you could. No, and, and it's it's really cool. Like, I, I got to say this quote just because, like, it, it really hit me. This is when I realized that, you know, just exactly what Cincinnati basketball is doing right now. Uh, in the post game, Wes makes the comment, um, God, I, I don't even know what to say. And this is when he's asked about, you know, what are your thoughts right now? God, I don't even know what to say. I'm just exhausted. This is everything you asked for. This is how you become a great program again. This is how you become a better team. Nights like tonight give us a little confidence you can build off. And, you know, there was some added context in there, but that was the, you know, paraphrasing uh, what he was saying. But he's right. You know, everyone that wants Cincinnati basketball to get back to what they were back during the Huggins days, and even when Mick Cronin had things rolling, like you're going to have to go through this to get there. There's there's no instant gratification with the process. And Wes is a big process guy. He doesn't want to skip steps. So, yeah, losing on the road to West Virginia, it sucks if you're a UC fan. Um, 
blowing late leads against, you know, Oklahoma and Texas and some of these other teams. It sucks, but it's only going to make this program better. And I just, I can't wait for the conference tournament because there's so many teams in this league that have a realistic shot to win in Kansas City. And I think Cincinnati's one of those teams. Yeah. One thing I wanted to look at too, you know, we'll come back, we'll come back to this later when I have some really hard numbers on it, but I feel like through all of the games so far, Cincinnati's probably the closest to having the most wins when it comes to closest mm-hmm. to having the most wins. Actually, I did see something, Justin. Um, it's, it's only Cincinnati and Baylor that have lost all of their conference games by five points or less. Really? Okay. Yeah. And those two, and I think uh, those two and maybe Kansas are the only ones without a double-digit uh, Big 12 loss. That is good information to know because – When you look at this, I mean, I think this is the coolest part about what we've seen so far with Wes, what we've seen so far this season. If you look at the BYU win on the road, you probably say at that point in time, that's the best win that Wes Miller's had, but that's probably the best win that this team has had since X year of Mick Cronin. You know, Mm -hmm. the Illinois win I definitely think was big, but, you know, write it off. Give it credit if you want. Then you look at the TCU win at home. Another big win, gritty environment against a ranked team in overtime. Then you could say, maybe maybe that's the best win. But then you go to Texas Tech, and then you have it again. So it's like, that's the cool thing about the Big 12, but I think that's also the thing that just goes to show that this system is working and that these wins are going to start coming because if this team wasn't ready, this team would be out of every single one of these games. Like if this team was not prepared, if this team was not ready for the big 12, we would not be in every single one of these games. And we would probably look worse than the record that Oklahoma state has right now. But instead we're neck and neck with every single team. There is not a single team that we have not been able to play up to par with. And I think that can be one of the most frustrating things as a fan, because you see this is like, Clearly, with you know a Texas Tech or with a BYU in some of these games, we're playing up to the level of these opponents. We're playing up to that le- high level of basketball. But then you have the West Virginia game, where you're playing down to that level of basketball. Yeah. Don't no discredit to West Virginia because you know they got the win. It is what it is. But like when you go into that game, West Virginia was definitely not supposed to win that game, even though it was a home game. They were just not favored. It, w- it was not the way it was supposed to go. And so I just think that we've played with our opponents all these games. And I'm just waiting for that point where we kind of just flip the switch. I think we've gotten close, but flip the switch when you can really start to put the pedal to the metal and start gassing some of these teams because the opportunities have been there. And I think some of these games you've lost even by two, three possession or one or two possessions. Realistically, the Bearcats, if they just step on the pedal at any point in the game just to hit that takeover, you're probably winning by seven or eight plus points, but instead it ends up being a loss because it's such a close game. Yeah. I think they've struggled with whenever they've gotten momentum in some of these games, um, they've struggled with uh, unforced turnovers. They had shot selection. Like even, um, even last night against uh, Texas tech skillings comes down and takes nearly three, 14 seconds into the shot clock. (laughs) And, And that's just a part of, maturing i mean he's still young like i don't think skillings hasn't played this game that long so he's still maturing uh so you chalk it up as just you know a maturity thing but uh shot selection and turnovers in key situations are two of the biggest reasons that this team 
isn't seven and two in league play instead of four and five, maybe even eight and one. Like even watching the Kansas game, John Newman cuts the Kansas lead to 53-49 with nine minutes left. They don't score another field goal until just under two minutes left. And by that point, you know, they're down 10, game's out of reach. You you can't have scoring droughts like that um, in this league. You know, they they went here, – here's a sign that should make Cincinnati fans feel good. Last night there was a situation uh, where they went – one of 13 from the 1034 mark to the 424 mark. They missed 12 of 13. The final 423, they make six of seven shots. And that's a sign of this team maturing and growing and understand time, possession, and situations. So, like, yeah, man, it really sucks seeing them struggle at times down the stretch of games. But that Texas Tech game, you can point to and say, all right, they're starting to get it and understand and Wes has said multiple times that, you know, he really likes his team. And that's one of the reasons they're constantly willing to learn and continue to put in the hard work and that they haven't played their best basketball yet. And when they do, I think you're going to know it because there's going to be a game where they go out and put, you know, a 20 spot on a team and walk out <laughs> of the gym feeling really good. Game of runs, baby. That's how it is. Absolutely. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you get hot at the right time. Um, speaking of getting hot at the right time, Charlie Hustle. Charlie Hustle. We love working with these guys. They provide some awesome merch for a lot of the Big 12 teams. Again, still waiting on the Cincinnati one. I'll say that until we get it fixed. Marty, please help us out, buddy. We're still waiting. Anyways, like I said, lots of fantastic Big 12 merch. They have all of the other Big 12 teams covered, and I'm sure they'll have a few of the new ones coming in as well. Um, I think one of the best things about their merch is really just the quality of their threads and then the availability of options and versatility of wear. They've got some great apparel when it comes to shirts, long sleeves, jackets, tees. They've got everything covered. And I think, you know, if you guys look at their website, there's plenty of options. But even if you don't have something specifically for a Cincinnati fan, there's still plenty of other teams around. And why not chalk it up? Because it's going to be fun playing in the Big 12. We're going to have a lot of those, and maybe you'll have a second team. Cincinnati fans, I'm sure, I know how it is. We all have our one team of the Bearcats. Maybe you find a second team, and if you do, go over to charliehustle.com. Use the promo code 101215 for 15% off of all non-sale items and get you something good. Charlie Hustle Vintage Made Fresh. I keep forgetting to click through our banner every single time, but I'll get it right next time. Steve. What's next? Uh, we're going to do a little womp womp here. Talk all about the Cougars. Um, we do, like we mentioned, get that week off before Saturday's game against Houston. Uh, if Bearcats fans didn't know, uh, it's been nine consecutive games that UC has gone without a win against Houston. And that includes uh, three games in each of the past uh, two years against uh, the Cougars. Uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah past two years against the Cougars because you played them twice home and away and in the conference tournament. And I wouldn't be surprised if UC got them again in the conference tournament. Cause that's just how these things seem to go. But uh, Ryan, one of the th the themes we've had just on the show and jokingly and not is that um, after the uh, 2021 conference tournament uh, championship game, where uh, it was, it, it was kind of one-sided in favor of the Cougars. UC has made it a little bit closer when uh, dur during West Miller's tenure. Uh, 
disregard the last game, the (laughs) conference tournament game last year against them, but they played really well against Houston uh, at uh, the Fertitta center last year. And I've felt that uh, I, that if we want to be able to bring back that tough and nasty mindset of Cincinnati, but apply it to the modern day, uh, Houston is that replica. They, they are that team. They get down, they, they're, they they're dirty, but in a good way. Like they they hustle, they dive for balls, they play with just like that chip on their shoulder. Um, what what I'm wondering though is, is this the best chance out of the last ten opportunities, nine of them being <laughs> losses, where uh, UC can really pull one out this time around? It's it's funny you bring up uh, can well compare Houston to former UC teams because at Big Twelve Media tip off that was something I asked Kelvin Sampson. I asked him, you know, all these years losing to Mick in Cincinnati, did you try to emulate your team after what they were doing with the toughness and physicality and rebounding? And he said that when he came into the league, he didn't know much about the American. And after seeing Cincinnati a few times, he realized if he was ever going to win that league, he had to build his teams on how the old Huggins teams were built because that's how you won in that league. I think that, <clears throat> Excuse me. When you look at this league, uh, they have three losses right now, and it's because they're not able to bully ball teams and just out physical and out talent teams. But I, I do think if Cincinnati is going to get them compared to years past, this is the year just because they've got the size, they've got the depth, they've got the talent. Um, I don't know that they have a LJ Cryer on their team, the dude who's really good, same with Jamal Shedd. But I do think they have guys that can guard those two with uh, Day-Day Thomas and John Newman. So I, I think of all of the years that we've seen since I really struggled against Houston, this is probably the best opportunity to make it the most competitive of these last nine games. And I think Wes has – this is one game where Wes has continued to build his program off. So every year, who has had his number and what have they done to him? He's kind of taken that personal and that challenge and kind of said that, if I want to be the best, look at Houston because they have been the best team in this league and they've been one of the best programs in the country. So that's how I have to continue to build my roster. And I don't think it's a coincidence that toughness, physicality, and rebounding are what you see with this year's team um, after the type of results he had against Houston. Yeah, and I think one of the things too, kind of to Steve's point about um, you know some of the last few games that we've had and how this – rivalry started to get a little bit closer um through the american up until the 2019 season the bearcats were 10 and 4 against houston and they had a handful of double digit wins and in fact a lot of those were majority but then in the last 10 they're one and nine and so it's a huge momentum swing it's like flip of the switch and it's over and remember that one and nine that first one of 2019 or sorry, 20, yeah, 2019, second one of 2019 was that final win that they got. You mean 2020? Whole stretch. Yes, it was in 2020. Sorry, this whole thing is, it's 2019, 2020 season, but it's part of that. So it's all mixed around. Regardless, if you look backwards through these, through these losses, through those nine, you lose by 13, then by 38, 37, 22, 18, and then you get to the past few games, 13, 13, 6, and 21. Of course, the 21, you know, Houston's just an absolute animal destroying everybody. So I'll you take, really can't ask I'll for take, a lot. Uh, 
I'll take responsibility for the 21 point <laughs> loss. I saw, I think it was um, Jarris Walker, uh, Jawan Roberts, and Kelvin Sampson, another assistant. I was staying at Aloft in DFW, well, Fort Worth, and they were staying in the same hotel as me. <laughs> and I saw them uh, after those games where, after the game where since I just blew Temple out, when I got back to the hotel, Houston happened to be going up the elevator with me as well. And I look at uh, Jairus and um, I, I, you know, I congratulate them on the win today or on that day. And, you know, they said, thanks. I was talking to Kevin Sampson. I was like, man, you guys might have your hands full tomorrow. And, uh, <laughs> and he just smiled. He's like, yeah, you might be right. And then he looked at Jairus and Jairus was like, yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> man they, i don't even know if they took you seriously enough to make that billboard material but probably not material. but <laughs> but uh i felt uh a small part in uh that blowout loss after kind of poking them on the on the elevator ride up following the game hey i mean you know all jokes aside i think that is one thing that you know i think houston takes all of these games very personally all I think do. Cincinnati yeah. does to a degree, but I think that's another thing that is a big piece of elite programs that Cincinnati needs to have again, like you said earlier, that chip on their shoulder and just say, you know, what is anything that we can find a reason to hate these guys, mm -hmm. a reason to just want to beat them, use it. I mean, if the record isn't enough for the Bearcats, there's plenty of other stuff. I'm sure there's plenty of other noise from Houston fans mm -hmm. like I just think that they need that extra little bit of an edge to get there. But I think the biggest difference so far has really just been sort of that talent gap. And now mm -hmm. I do think after, you know, a lot of what we talked about, I think they're pulling it in closer. It's just, how do you kind of make that connection? How do you get back to beating Houston? And if you get back to beating Houston, how do you then turn that into beating some other teams in the first, in the second, in the third weekend in March Madness? What is the path back to March Madness? How do we get there? We've talked about it over and over again. We've said eight wins is the key. Maybe it's nine. Ryan, what is your perspective? What do the Bearcats need to do from this point moving on in order to get back to the March Madness tournament? You're seeing it. Defense, rebounding, and continue to be extremely physical because those things travel whether you're on the road or at home. Um so I, I saw something that actually surprised me. This team is a better free throw shooting team on the road than at home. Hmm. So that, that also gives me a little bit uh, of comfort knowing that you don't have to worry about them when they go on the road. And I think that speaks to the maturity of the guys. Um, but as far as like a win total, I, your guess is as good as mine, man. Um, I do think there's what, nine games left mm -hmm. in the regular season plus the conference tournament. So 10 games left. I would say if you go six and three, five and four, you're you're comfortably in the tournament. Um, if you go four and five or anything less, you're probably needing to win a couple games in the conference tournament. But I think anything 500 or above, you're solely in the tournament with the resume that you already have. But the majority of the reasoning for that is the quad one wins that you're going to have by going, you know, anything 500 or better. But I, I do think 500 or better uh, will get them into tournament pretty comfortably. Well, and then the other thing, too, is that I think they need a couple teams that, well, the only one that really applies here is TCU. I think t they need TCU to play a little bit better so that that 
quad two win that they had at home against TCU turns into a quad one. Right. And yep. Hopefully if you can beat them again, that's two quad one teams just from the same team. Um, I do think also you have three quad three games remaining at home um, and you probably should win all of those. Not that any of them will really knock you out. If you can, like you said, build back up your resume by beating one of those quad one teams. But I think you just got to take care of your business at home against mm-hmm. teams that you're probably better than. Yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. Uh, losing the games they've lost at home are probably the biggest backbreaker right now. Like, even if they just beat Texas, um, like having that Texas win at home, you're five and four in conference play right now. You're probably firmly in the tournament. But I think winning at home is the key down the stretch just because it is really hard to win on the road in this league. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most painful things too, not to backtrack to the Big 12 standings, but you're sitting at four and five. I mean, there's a lot of tied teams here, but you're sitting at four and five and you're on the bottom half of this bracket. But like we said, you're only two games out. So it's one of those things that I think, you know, from my perspective, you've got Houston coming up. You have Iowa State coming up. We said this this past week with West Virginia and Texas Tech. Find a win. Doesn't matter which one, but find a win because it's on the road. Mm-hmm. You have two games at home now. You have to find one somewhere. Granted, you're asking that the tallest task. I think this is, if you include Texas Tech, this will end up being the hardest stretch of the entire season. I know we had the gauntlet that we talked about before. Now some of these teams have ironed out some of their issues. Now some of these teams have proven who's in the middle, who's at the bottom, who's at the top, even with the ranked teams that we've played. Texas Tech, Houston, and Iowa State are all up there. And so if you've done that against Texas Tech on the road, I know Houston is a completely different animal. I know Iowa State's a completely different animal. But you got to find a split. If you can't find two there, you can't have a loss or you can't have two losses in that stretch. You have to have something out of that. Um, And then, of course, when you go on the road to UCF and then you have Oklahoma State, Hopefully you can pick up both of those. Steve mentioned the road game against TCU. Hopefully you could pick up that one as well. But through the next five of Houston, Iowa State, UCF, Oklahoma State, and TCU, if you can go three and two in that, I think you have a legitimate shot because now you're looking at a seven, you know, seven game win record there. And then you just need to find something out of the back half. And I think you really only need one, but you have to be hot at the right time. That is a huge thing. Timing. No matter how good your quad wins are, no matter what that is, when you're on the bubble, you have to have that good timing at the end of the season. Don't fall off. Don't look really good in these next five and then just give it up to Houston, Kansas State, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. You got to find some wins and keep that momentum going. Otherwise, I think it is really going to shoot you in the butt. However, the conference tournament, I think if you can win one game, maybe two, if you can stretch that, who knows what else you can turn that into, but if you can win at least one game in there, I think that will be enough to put you in. Yeah, and I also think looking at Houston, um, getting back to the previous topic of, you know, about the Cougars, these teams are mirror images of one another if you really look at it. Uh, both elite rebounding teams, both fly out, get after it defensively. I think if Cincinnati can avoid the turnovers, because that's kind of what Houston feasts off of, points in transition, uh, getting out in the open floor, because they're not a great three-point shooting team. Like, they have shooters, but nowhere near the level of, you know, a Texas Tech or BYU or some of these other really good shooters that are in the league. Um, 
I, I think just limiting the turnovers, and that's same with Iowa State. If you can limit turnovers in these next two games under 10, I, I see no reason why you can't win these two games. So um, we'll see what happens. But I, I really think that this Texas Tech win could be a huge boost moving forward and give them the confidence they need in these next couple games to get it done. Yeah, and while we're on the point there of Houston, I have one last question before we move on. We've got the Houston game. We also have the Iowa State game coming up, but we've got the Houston game next Saturday. This Saturday, sorry. Bearcats have kept every single game that they have lost within five. They've won by more. They've won by double digits. Houston is a different team, a very difficult and physical team. Do you think that the Bearcats can manage to keep this within two possessions if they don't win? Um, yeah, I think so. Just just because of the com the competitors that they own this league, like are on this team. I don't think they have a I don't think they have a I mean, don't get me wrong, John Newman's an absolute warrior. I don't think they have a team full of John Newmans. <laughs> um we wish. I, I but I do think this team has a lot of toughness and grit to them, and that's why you're seeing them play so well defensively as well as rebounding. Um, I think they just go about it in a different way than Houston. Houston's very vocal. They want to get up in your face, uh, very physical, and I don't think that that style is going to bother this team as much as it has in the past. Yeah. yeah. Having it at home, too, uh, is probably a better chance of you staying keeping it close because obviously Houston, when they get on a run at home, they can really just run you out of that building. But what when it's in Cincinnati, you I feel like they have and we've seen past Houston teams run us out of our own building. Uh, but I do feel pretty good about our chances to uh, at least you know play play well and play a great game against them. I mean, I don't want to admit defeat. I think we can <laughs> beat them, but you're playing against a top 10 team at home, but, and we all know the Houston monster that is coming. And I, I tried to tell the Kansas fans and then the Kansas, Kansas just shot 70% and like took care of them. No problem. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm excited for that round two of Kansas uh, uh, going to Houston. Um, I think that should be another fun game in this league. I don't know about you guys, but it's just fun to like watch other games in the league rather than just, Oh, all right. I'm just going to watch the Cincinnati game and then just find something else to turn on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah even on a day like today where there's literally nothing on because you're not going to watch the pro ball flag football game. Um, <laughs> you know, you had, I think SMU against uh, UAB maybe and Tulane against Temple. And, and I was I was just thinking to myself, like, this could have been Cincinnati if they didn't get in the Big 12. Yeah. Playing on a day where literally nobody cares that sports are even on. So it's, it's kind of cool. You know, I, I caught myself yesterday. Uh, I was excited leading up to the UC game because you had Texas and TCU um, leading up to it. And it's just the one thing I'm not really a fan of uh, with the Big 12, and I understand why, um, is so many more games are streamed versus being on ESPN, ESPN2, or on CBS like they played uh, when they were in the American. But the trade-off is worth it. Um, I don't know what your guys' situation was like, but there were times watching that Texas Tech game last night where it was brutal with the <laughs> lagging. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and usually, like, it's – I think it was just a one-game thing because I've never had, had issues like that in the past. But, yeah, that's probably my biggest complaint is uh the the streaming of the majority of the games 
Oh, go ahead, Steve. <laughs> I was just going to make a joke about no offense to our friends in Lubbock, but I don't know if they have the uh, the fastest internet there. Just yeah. it has, might not have reached Lubbock yet. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll give them a couple more years. Yeah. This is my very last thing before we get to the world-renowned Bearcat Sports Wrap-Up. I need a score prediction from both of you for this game this week because it's our one and only game. Yeah. <clears throat> Houston. Averaging 73.6 roundup, that's 74 points a game, allowing 54. So about a 20-point margin of victory on average. Bearcats, 77 points a game to 67 allowed when rounded. So 10-point margin of victory. They're very close when it comes to rebounding, assists, blocks. Houston does have the edge at averaging 10 steals flat per game. What is your score prediction for this game? Ryan, start. Um, in my experience if i pick uc to win they don't win so i'm going to take the unpopular pick of taking houston and i'm going to go with 66 to 61 and pulling away with free throws late but as i say that cincinnati will end up going and winning by 10 because i picked against them (laughs) rock fight uh, I did the exact same thing and I'm going to do it again when um, we had the guys from the Houston podcast on our show before the football game this year. And um, I told that I told him because I asked him for a prediction and then I told him, I was like, I'm going to do something that I have not done in the, however many years I've hosted this podcast. And I picked against the Bearcats and look what they did. They won by what, 17 that night. Mm-hmm. So I am going to do the same thing. No, knowing what I did before and trying to recreate that magic again. Uh, I say that Houston will probably win by, uh, I'd say like 68 to 64. I, I like what you said, Ryan, about pulling away with free throws. But um, to me, it could, I, I think we can keep it within that five number, but it's more of a thing where, you know, Houston is just able to wear us down in the second half um, and we aren't able to, find that same luck that we had and maybe it wasn't luck maybe it was us finding good shots and being able to knock down make buckets uh in the second half against texas tech but i do feel that you know houston can try to limit that and we'll be able to shut us down but again i'm trying to do the reverse psychology jinx whatever kind of thing why well, for really... reason damian don always goes off in fifth third so that's yeah that's a good point yeah i don't believe in the jinxes i just believe in the bearcats winning it is not going to be a big win. It's going to be a close one. 63-62 Bearcats over Houston in fifth third. Mark it down. Write it. It's happening. Bearcats are finally going to get on the right side of this rivalry once again. Because at this point, I'm sure Houston fans don't even feel like it's a rivalry. It's gotten a little out of hand. All right, Steve, round us out, baby. It's the world-renowned Bearcat Sports Wrap-Up. Hit us with all of the best from this week. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, like you mentioned earlier at the top of the show, women's basketball also defeated Texas Tech on Saturday to complete the sweep over the Red Raiders. Shout out to Katrina Merriweather, got them back over 500 on the season. Another great home conference win for them. Uh, So they are headed to UCF on Wednesday, and they will host BYU on Saturday as part of a men's and women's doubleheader. Uh, The tennis team got two more sweeps this weekend over Duquesne and Eastern Illinois. They will have an off week this upcoming week. Track and field, Abby Nauf broke, broke the school pole vault record, becoming the first Bearcat woman to clear 14 feet on the pole vault. And uh, 14 feet's up there. That's higher than, that's <laughs> taller than the basketball hoop. So congratulations, Abby. 
Track Cats will split squads this weekend, going to both Nashville and Boston. Women's golf is in Puerto Rico this week for a tournament hosted by Purdue, and I'm just jealous of them for be- getting to be in Puerto Rico in February. So uh, <laughs> good luck to the uh, to the Golf Bearcats. And then the women's lacrosse team gets their season started next Sunday as they visit Marquette. Uh, just a quick little rundown about the lacrosse team. UC is picked to finish fourth this year, returning AAC Freshman of the Year Cameron Callahan, who scored 56 goals last year, leading all freshmen nationally. Uh, Callahan, Ava Geller, and Danny McKelvey were named to the AC, AAC preseason all-conference team. So uh, if you have that ESPN Plus subscription and you're looking for something else to watch on the weekend, um, I, it is kind of interesting that they are playing on Super Bowl Sunday to start their season, but, you know, if – if you're not really interested in watching football, watch some lacrosse next Sunday. Uh, I actually did uh, when I was working at home last spring, turn on a few of these games every now and then. And they're a lot of fun to watch, especially Cameron Callahan. She was really good last year. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I would add watching Katrina's team on ESPN plus as well. I've watched pretty much any game that I'm at home that they're playing. Um, and I definitely think Katrina is going to get things going in the right direction. She has an absolute, as Pat McAfee would say, dog coming in <laughs> next year. And Chloe Mann, I got yeah. to see her play when I was uh, down there for the Baylor game. And Katrina is going to get things going right. So make sure you guys are supporting that program as well. Absolutely. Well, also, I have, I have one last thing. Here's your stat of the night for you, too. All right. All righty. Aziz Bandiago, what's his free throw shooting percentage on the year? <sighs> to guess. 58% maybe. That sound right without looking it up. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. He is shooting 82% on the road. He's made 14 of 17 free throw attempts. Wow. 82% on the road. So what you're telling me is that instead of a soft lay in or just to pogo stick back up and put it off the backboard, he should just dunk and get the end one. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Please, Aziz, if you're watching this, Dunk it, baby. We are all waiting. Clearly, you can do that. You have the height matchup advantage. Just slam it on them. Just slam it on them. That's Go Jamil Reynolds on them. Dunk everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us this week. As always, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, again, for those of you who aren't already, make sure to follow Ryan. You can follow him at Ryan underscore KY0203 for all of the best coverage of the Bearcats. From myself, Steve, the 1012 Network, our partners, Charlie Hustle, Ryan, thank you all for listening this week. Check back with us next week. Hopefully, we'll have that sweet, sweet W over Houston that we've been waiting so, so long for. Viva the cats. Sports Social Podcast Network.